0: This is a rebroadcast of episode number 861 Seven Journaling Techniques That Can Change Your Life. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be back on Wednesday with a brand new episode. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. In my 20s and early 30s, I was a regular journaler. Several years ago, however, I stopped journaling almost entirely because I wasn't getting anything out of it anymore. But my guest has helped me see that my problem wasn't with journaling itself, but that I had got into a journaling rut. And he's introduced me to some new ways to journal that have inspired me to get back into the practice. Campbell Walker is an illustrator, animator, podcaster, and YouTuber, as well as the author of Your Head is a Houseboat, A Chaotic Guide to Mental Clarity. Today on the show. Cam shares how journaling transformed his life and what it can do for yours. We discuss why it's helpful to do a journaling brain dump and how to then move beyond that to incorporate different techniques that will help you get greater insight into the problems you're facing and how to solve them. We unpack those techniques, which include how to journal to break mindset, conduct a lifestyle and habits audit, and quell anxiety. We also talk about an experiment Cam did where he only used the social media apps on his phone when he was posting something. And every time he got the itch to check social media for fun, he engaged in something he calls micro-journaling instead. We end our conversation with how Cam's journaling changed after he became a dad and his tips on making journaling a consistent habit in your life. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is journaling. All right, Cam Walker, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, man. So you are a YouTuber, an author, and do a lot of self-development type things. And a lot of it is about journaling. You're a big fan of journaling. You've called it your number one problem-solving tool. I'm curious, what was going on in your life when you discovered the power of journaling? Oh, that's
1: a brilliant question. So number one solving tool in terms of problems only because it lets you know what problems are next to solve. But in terms of my life, I guess it was pretty contrasted with the sort of situation that I found myself in. Long story short, found myself in the grips of a pretty gnarly drug addiction, which I was funding by funding other people's drug addictions. And every time that I would sober up, I think, which wasn't for long, like that was part of my mission statement, I think, at that point in my life, I started realizing maybe I was around like 17 or 18 at this point that. I would just sober up to a shitter world each time, just a worse version of the reality that I left. And I was blocking this out for the most part, but at some point I realised that I couldn't really block it out. And long story short, my best attempt at getting sober, I would have been 18, no, freshly 19, And I decided that I just had to get out of the environment where I could even access drugs. And my first instinct was to go to my grandparents' house because they lived in New Zealand. And they lived in a small town called Whangarei, which is where my whole family's from. They've been there forever. And I go into my grandpa's room and without drugs, I start having all of these withdrawal symptoms. And I didn't even have a plan to journal at this point, but nature sort of took over. And with all these withdrawal symptoms, sort of like... I don't know if you've ever had an amphetamine addiction, but they're pretty hectic. And I start having this massive panic attack just on the floor in his room. He was one year past at this point, so he wasn't there. And I was looking around the room trying to figure out what could stop it. And I think I had used drugs for so long to be the thing that could stop it, but now I just couldn't access them. So... All I could really see was his computer. So I went onto that and he didn't have access to the internet. All he had was Microsoft Word. And I'm like, man, desperate times call for desperate, desperate measures. So I open up Microsoft Word and I just started typing. And holy smokes, Brett, the words just flowed from my brain out of my fingers it felt like a massive pressure valve had just been released. And I just got all of this crazy head noise that I think I was dealing with onto the page in front of me. And once it was there, it was indexed. And I'm like, oh my God, I can see it. (laughs) I'm not in the grips of it. And I mean, I think I wrote in the book that that lasted for about two days before I realized it was going to be an ongoing
0: practice. But that little euphoric moment, that changed me, man. It was beautiful. Yeah, and so in your book, it's called Your Head Is a Houseboat. You're all about... Showing people, guiding people through what's worked for you to gain mental clarity. Like that's the, that, I think that's what you, why you, you journal is to find that mental clarity. Why use the houseboat as a metaphor for the mind?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, firstly, like the concept of metaphor, I, I was all, I've always lent, lent towards and particularly when it comes to issues of the mind. And I think that's just because when you're trying to describe something cerebral or something that can't really be explained in tangible terms, because I've never seen the brain, like I've never seen the inside of my brain it's a lot easier to understand it in terms that we do know, like a house or a park or a street or something like that. And I really did gravitate towards this idea of a house because it's got different compartments, you know, different parts of the brain for different reasons, different parts of your house for different reasons. However, the house kind of fell short when I was really thinking about the metaphor. So, and it fell short for two reasons. So the first one was a house doesn't really go anywhere, whereas your brain does And the stakes aren't quite high enough with a house. So the houseboat for me was like the logical choice because the stakes of life are, yeah, man, like you can sink. And I guess that's the stakes of a houseboat as well. Granted, probably about like 1% of people have been on a houseboat and I'm not in that 1%, but I'll figure it's not too much of a stretch to imagine.
0: Yeah, I like how you describe like the water that the houseboat is on as sort of life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, our houseboat starts off on a river Right, and it's sort of like you—you, you, it's there's direction, right? The river's got a, a course you have to follow, and you kind of liken that to childhood. You're born, and then here's this thing you're supposed to do. You're born, you go to school, you go to college, and then you get to adulthood, and then it kind of opens out into the ocean, and that's when things get tricky, massively. And I think we've all been there, like when you just hit that delta, and you're
1: like, "Oh, um, I, I don't really know what to do." Right. And even if your childhood was tumultuous, there's still a level of prescription to it because as kids, like, even if things are wild, the tendency to question or that bestowed independence, it's not there as much as it is when you are staring at the world as an adult.
0: And what is it about journaling that can help us keep our houseboats in tip-top shape or and help us get to where we want to be in life?
1: Yeah, man. Um, brilliant question again. So I think what I liken it to is... Have you ever been like shopping at the groceries? But uh, what you'll do is like, you'll think that you only want a few things. I want limes, I want hummus, I want soy crisps. So you go in there, you don't get a basket, you pick up the limes, you pick up the hummus, you pick up the soy crisps. But on the way, you're like, oh, actually I needed milk. Oh, actually I needed cereal. Oh, actually I needed mangoes. So all of a sudden now you're holding all of these groceries and you're like, dude, I should have just... A freaking shopping basket in with me, this whole thing would have been easier. So, for me, journaling is like that shopping basket. And I guess I'm mixing my metaphors here, but it's going somewhere, I promise. And I think all of the thoughts that we sort of like collect are like the things that we are going around the shops with. So, for me, it's not the ultimate problem solving tool in the world uh, or in, in our heads, but I guess like the preliminary problem solving tool that shows us what the problems are that we need to solve.
0: I've noticed that, like, whenever you get stuff on paper, like when it's in your head, it's all amorphous and it just kind of consumes you. And then, like you said, you had that experience when you were going through your withdrawals, you put all those thoughts on a screen and it makes it concrete. And you're able to see it's like, well, actually that's not that. I mean, some of those issues are big, but it's not as big as my brain is fooling me to think it—it it is.
1: Massively, and that's it. And they, It's almost like a cavernous echo effects that it has when it is in your head. And then once it's on the page, it kind of looks a bit like dormant or benign. And you're like, well, hello,
0: little thought. I can see you there. Well, let's talk about some uh, specific journaling practices that have changed your life. Cause you've developed other ones after you did the initial, just like her brain dump that sort of put you on this path. Then you started figuring out other ways, other practices or techniques you can use. But before we talk about those, I want to talk more about this brain dump you did when you were at your grandparents' house, because this is a practice you've continued to use since then, and this is a practice that anyone can use. It's really easy to do. You make the case. this is how we can declutter our minds and our you know slash houseboat and uh, free up some brain space. So tell us more about you know what this journaling practice looks
1: like. Basically. No inhibitions, just type every single thought or write every single thought or if you aren't able to type or write, use voice uh, like a voice recording app, but just get everything out of your head and flush it onto somewhere else. There is no structure intentionally and I guess the idea is it doesn't matter how small or insignificant the thought seems, just get it out and try chase your thoughts out and get them. Onto the page. So even if your thought is something like, man, I really doubt that that Australian guy knows what he's talking about, or like, man, this whole journaling thing, is it really what it's cracked up to be? I am not feeling the full effects of this. Where's my euphoria? Get that out. You know what I mean? And then once you do, it opens up the next layer. And that next layer might be, oh, I was meant to buy so-and-so a birthday present. Oh, it's nearly the end of the year and I haven't even thought about what I'm doing for Christmas. Oh, it's going to be 2023 and how am I going to make my life different? And oh my God, I didn't even do all those New Year's resolutions. Oh God, I'm such a failure. Oh, is it my dad's fault? You know what I mean? You just kind of like peel back the layers and it all just comes out and there it is. Granted, it's unstructured, but that's where the techniques come in, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, and it, it puts like a, a lot of less, like, there's like no pressure, right? Sometimes I think people, when they when they start journaling, they put this pressure. It's like, well, it's got to sound good because they read <sighs> journals from like their great-great-grandparent where it sounds like very sophisticated and And it's like, no, it doesn't need to be like that. Just, just go stream of conscious. That's all you got to do. That's a
1: brilliant insight, man. Because, yeah, I think there's also like, uh, I think some people might read sort of, oh, I need to like, They want like a goal, like, oh, should I get one page or two page or half a page? And honestly, anything above a single word is a win. If that's all you have, if all you have time for is like that one minute window where you are waiting for the bus and you use your notes
0: app, that's a win. And then what this brain dump does, it allows you, you can like, like we said, you can see everything in your head, the things that have been consuming you. And then you can start, it's like decluttering your garage, right? You can start organizing things. You can go through and like, well... Do I need this thing? No, I can chunk that. Or mm. I like this thing. Let's uh, let's take that and we're going to organize it a little better. You know, put this over here. You can start doing that with that brain dump.
1: That's it, man. Yeah, just looking at the uh, thoughts unemotionally outside your head as if they are objects in your garage.
0: Beautiful. Okay, so the first technique, uh, just a brain dump. No pressure, no stakes, just every little thought. Big thoughts could be like, you know, is that lump in my... <laughs> arm is that cancer or it could be like little just dumb stuff oh i need to um i need to pay that that library fine or whatever i don't know yeah just whatever's in your head completely and more often than
1: not i find that they run on into each other those two sentences i I don't know there's almost (laughs) like a comedy to it where you're just like yep i do need to you know fill up my car yes i should apologize to my cousin for that thing that happened when we were eight you know
0: no, it is funny. Like when I, because I've done these brain dumps before, and it is funny to see like, <laughs> you know, there is like this really big thing followed by this rinky dink thing, and it's just like, oh my every gosh, time. I can't believe every time. Believe. When did when did you start doing brain dumps and journaling? Um, like so, I don't journal regularly. I used to be a regular journaler. I hear you. But then you know, I, I just stopped getting anything out of it. I kind of took. A, I had. A, I kind of got burnt out. I think um, from I, it. I can relate. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I, I do the brain dump still every now and then when I am just feeling overwhelmed and I just get a piece of paper or my, my, I have a nice journal and I just write just stream of conscious stuff. And uh, it's it's always, it feels good when you do it. Mm, mm. How, can I ask how often
1: you might do something like that? I don't, it's, it's gotten, it's interesting. So it's- or is beca- it more situational?
0: It's more situational. So I used to be really regular about it, like when I was in high school and in my 20s. But then as I got into my 30s, I noticed that I just didn't have the the need for it anymore. And um, I get that one of the things. I one of the things reasons why I've found I maybe why I've haven't had the desire or need to journal as much compared to when I was younger. When you're young, you got all these big questions in your life, right? Like, where should I go to school? Should I? I I, I like this girl a lot. Should I take it? You know, should we get married? Uh, what should I do with my career? And then as you make decisions on those things, and then you move into your 30s and your 40s think like, you know, there's not too many big issues, questions that you have to tackle anymore, if that makes sense. Mm. Oh, completely.
1: It's that uh, difference between the radical changing and like a maintenance phase of life. I also think that there's a flow on effect of having journal when you're younger, sort of, it does start to shape your mindset into a more, uh, you know, your thoughts aren't necessarily facts kind of mindset. And I think that's one of the side effects that comes from journaling. And if you're starting, if you've achieved that or achieved like a proxy of that by the time that you're in your thirties, it's a lot easier to access that and sort of emotionally detach yourself from a thought, which yeah, might not be as based in reality, but might've plagued you a bit when you were younger.
0: Yeah. And that's another reason I stopped journaling too. Cause I, whenever I would journal, I would sometimes find myself doing just sort of the the kvetching, just be like, well, here's all my problems, blah 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 blah, and then I, you know, I started going, <laughs> yeah. I started reading through my entries. It's just all the same. It's just me complaining about the same stuff oh over and God, over again. Dude. It's like, is this any, is this useful? And that's that's why I, I like it was great to find your videos, you because you, you offered other things you can do besides the. Because I think what happens you do the brain dump thing, it can be really useful. But then, if that you just stick with that, I think you get in a, a like a mental rut where you just keep on like, well, here are the things I just keep want to complain about. And it doesn't get any better. And I actually think it just makes things worse totally
1: and the worst is when uh, either a you read something from when you were younger and you were just completely put off yourself which i guess is a sign of growth but it's still like cringy or b you read a problem when you were younger and you still like 10 years later haven't solved it right you're like ah here we are again
0: brother (laughs) (laughs) okay so we talked about the brain dump Uh, another practice so if someone wants to move on to something else right they're getting tired of that Another practice is journaling to break your mindset. And maybe this can be useful for that, getting into that rut of just complaining about stuff. So what kind of mindset would we want to disrupt and how do you journal to accomplish that?
1: I would say the where, where my head immediately goes is to the sort of poster boy of demonized mindset, the fixed mindset, which is a nice name for... The mindset that you get in when you don't really believe that you can change or that you're capable of things that are beyond your current level of skill or talent or ability. And this is horrible because obviously this keeps us at the same place. And it also reinforces the idea that you can't change. So for me, breaking this is obviously vital, but it becomes incredibly difficult because it's the type of mindset that says it's unbreakable when you are thinking in that mind frame. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. So, and I've thought a long time about ways to break it and I've tried a couple of things, but what I find is really good for something that's more mindset-based isn't necessarily like a one-off hit. It's not like the, you know, trash can delete effect of a brain dump that sort of like gives you that immediate pressure valve relief, but it's more like a consistent practice. So because statements might be really good. So let's say you don't believe, uh, what's a classic limiting belief? Like you don't believe that you will ever be the fit athletic Adonis that your childhood self wished that you would be. You're never going to have that six pack because six packs aren't, just aren't for people who are you, right? Like I think a lot of us who aren't Adonises, you know, we might have a thought like that. The because statement basically takes that and it questions that belief. So, (laughs) and it sounds so corny when you do it. So just, you know, you don't have to broadcast this to the world. You just kind of got to do it like subtly in your notes app away from the the judging eyes of the public who might think you're cringe for self-improving. Maybe that's an Australian thing, who knows. But you would start a sentence with, I will have, call it that, Athlete's body that I like that I really want because. And then every morning you might finish that sentence with five dot points. Then the next day you finish it with five dot points more. Next day you finish it with five more dot points. And these might be things like because I understand that eating healthy is something that I really do enjoy every time I do it. Or it might be because I regularly go to the gym or it might be because I am researching how to actually do this you know what I mean and what you and even if it's just one answer to that because statement a day by the end of a year you've got 365 reasons why you are actively breaking that limiting belief and reminding yourself that every day like it seems so trivial and nominal but I think it's I don't know. It's incredibly powerful to do it over a
0: consistent period of time. I, I think you're right. And this, this comes straight out of cognitive behavioral therapy. This is a, an idea. Mm-hmm, that if you mm-hmm, went to mm-hmm. a therapist because you're like, I just feel like I'm not getting anywhere in life because I'm a dumb-dumb, I'm a whatever. Yes. They would say, yeah. You know, the therapist would be like, well, w- what's your proof for that? Maybe we can, we can question that assumption. And that's what you're doing with this, this prompt.
1: Massively, massively. And that's another brilliant way in is, yeah, find the proof because, I mean, so many of these things, they exist in the emotional realm of our heads and not in the rational and... I mean, the rational, the cynic in us is really quite good at dissecting things when it doesn't benefit us. But when it does benefit us, it can switch off a little, which is why sometimes it's nice to have that logic in front of you, objective on paper.
0: And as you said, you might feel awkward doing this because you're like, what? Well, this is so cheesy. Like I'm challenging my thoughts. But the the alternative is is you're just going to let your brain reinforce the negative mindset you have. So Completely. why why not do something different?
1: Absolutely, man. Yeah. Because otherwise it's what complacency taking over. And I mean, play that out over a lifetime. Like that doesn't sound too pleasant. So the little bit of pain where you have to access your inner Tony Robbins energy uh, is probably going to be worth it in the long shot.
0: So that practice is take a look at limiting belief or mindset you have and then challenge (laughs) it and show like the proof like, hey, here's why I'm not doing that. I, I Here's what I'm doing to, to counter that and do that consistently. And I imagine like reviewing that stuff just reinforces that. Oh,
1: completely. I mean, that's a whole other kettle of fish because I mean, this is, if we're going into a sort of more what would you call it, like a tough love version of this exercise? This is a really cool one. So basically what you do is you paint two versions of yourself. So we've got Brett who is, so what is actually, yeah, we'll do this right now, live time. So what's the worst version of you that you could become? Like just left to your own devices, hedonism takes over massively. What do you look like?
0: Um, let's see, just constantly surfing the internet, not exercising and just being a jerk to my family. Love it. All right.
1: So we'll call it a chronically online unfit jerk. All right. And what's the best you that you can become?
0: Spending just rarely any time online, just enough to do my work. I'm exercising regularly and uh, I'm just on it with my family. I'm just like number one dad. Cool, man.
1: Yeah. Sweet as. So yeah, um, successful, inspiring family, man. So you would have these two archetypes and one is designed, the words are chosen specifically to bully you and the other one, the words are chosen specifically to inspire you. And then with each thing that you do in a day, You basically add, like, you would say, okay, today, what did I have for breakfast? It was this. What did I do after that? Oh, I scrolled social media. What did I do after that? I actually did my work. And each of these things basically places a vote in either the chronically online jerk or in the inspiring Brett who loves his family. And then by the end, you tally the votes and whichever one has more is theoretically the goalpost that you're moving towards. So that's more of like a review-based one. And what I like about that is I know some of us do really respond quite well to that tough love, myself included. So if you want to up the ante, that might be one That might be one to try.
0: I like that. And uh, you call this a lifestyle and habits audit. And just to kind of do a recap for people, what you do is you, you take a journal page and then you break it down into three columns. And then in the first column, you put actions as the heading. And then the second, you put the worst version of yourself. And then in the third column, you put the best version of yourself as the heading. And then um, in the first column, you list all the things you did that day. And then uh, you put a check mark for that action in either the negative or positive column. And what you can do is you can see which column has more marks in it. And what this can do, it sounds like, is it can give you a sense just as a glance at the page of which direction your life is moving, you know, whether it's moving towards or away from the person you want to be. So that's the, the lifestyle audit part of it. And then it can help you think about what habits and environments are reinforcing either the good or bad lifestyle decision, you know, like what's helping you or what's hindering you. We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up. And if you are Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. So, another journaling practice you recommend is journaling as a daily reflection. And you recommend asking yourself five questions each day as you look back on your day. Um, Those questions are What excited me? What drained me of energy? What did I learn? What am I grateful for? And how did I push the needle forward? And you say your three favorites of these five questions are, what am I grateful for? What trained me of energy? And what did I learn? Why is it helpful to journal about those questions?
1: Those three particular questions, I think are really cool. Because it's like, they don't exactly show you anything new in terms of information, but they do articulate your intuition. And worse still, they articulate that intuition over a time period where it is so painfully obvious to see what you had a suspicion about just reflected back at you. So I'll give you an example. So what are you grateful for today? Spending time with your family. What drained you of energy? If it's you and that that picture that you painted before, it might be, oh man, I just fell down a scroll hole and all of a sudden I'm learning about something that just is not useful to me. All of a sudden I'm reading the most toxic comment section and just enjoying it, right? That drained you of energy. What did you learn? I should spend more time with my family and less time online. Now, you already know this, but seeing it in writing, it's it's painful, man. Seeing it in writing over 30 days, you can't look at that and not actively act on that.
0: Do you know what I mean? What's something you personally discovered through this practice?
1: Oh, so much. Um, definitely. So I mentioned at the start of this interview that sort of feeling of withdrawal and obviously like teenage drug addict, blah, 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 sob story. But when I did go back home after what I thought was going to be my one and only attempt at sobriety, I I fell straight back into patterns and it wouldn't take me, you know, it would be another nine years of shitty habits before I could actually finally kick those drugs and finally kick the alcohol. So I think journaling massively helped me realise that I was justifying using drugs and alcohol in the most insidious ways once I had quit something, for example, like once I quit either like meth or cocaine, I would still find myself drinking, but justifying it to myself by saying, Oh, but this is a socially acceptable alcohol. But then when I still wrote what drained me of energy today, I'm like, well, it was probably the three drinks I had at night or the ten drinks I had on the weekend. And I was like, oh man, I don't I don't think I've gotten sober at all. I think I just traded addictions for one that people don't hate. So yeah. Sobriety would be probably the biggest benefit that I got from that.
0: And again, seeing that stuff on paper, it just—it just makes it objective, right? You can't—you can't hide from it anymore.
1: You really can't. And I think that's—I mean, journaling is not going to solve the problems, but it's going to really show you what the problems are. It's yeah. going to be just incredibly well
0: defined. <laughs> is there a journaling practice you recommend for when you're having trouble making a decision?
1: Yeah, so this is one, I haven't actually talked about this on the channel yet because I'm using it at the moment. I want to see if it works. And uh, between you and me, Brett, it is definitely working. And uh, the reason that I started using it is mostly because I think it really applies to like big life decisions. I've been thinking a bit about um, sort of like moving cities, that type of thing. And what I realized that I do and then after Googling, I realized humans do it, is when we look at the future, we tend to not be able to predict it that accurately. Like, there, uh, So if you've got like an optimistic bias, you might look at what the future will be and you'll look at through rose-tinted glasses. If you've got a pessimistic bias kicking in that day, then you might see the opposite, right? So when I am at the precipice of these big decisions, I'll use the example of moving cities, the thing that I have done to try offset those biases, and I know that's an impossible task, but I'm doing my best, is instead of just comparing what I think the good and the bad is, is comparing the worst possible day that I would have in city A with the worst possible day I would have in city B, then a mundane day versus a mundane day, then a good day versus a good day, and I find that this is like a really nice way of overcoming, I don't know, any romanticism that I might have about where I go, because that's only just gonna set me up to have those expectations broken. Instead, I'm actually comparing the reality of it,
0: if that makes sense. That does make sense. And you have a, actually have a section in uh, Your Head is a Houseboat. We, we got what's the whack, it's called the wacky windshield, right? And those are all of mm-hmm, those mm-hmm. biases. And then uh, that technique that you're using is trying to help you just kind of wash the biases from your, your windshield you look out through.
1: Yeah. And trying's the key word. I think, um, I don't know if anybody in history has ever been able to truly say anything objectively, but uh, I mean, it's a noble goal to try, right?
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Another journaling practice you recommend for decision-making that I really liked was you set a timer for 60 seconds. And then during that time, you write down what your decision would be if you just had that minute to decide. And I like this because it forces you to recognize the answer you, know, you probably already know it, and you just haven't been able to admit it or accept it yet. Let's say someone struggles with anxiety. Is there a journaling practice that you like to use to quiet that anxiety?
1: Yeah, there is. Uh, there's, um, so, me and anxiety, we go way back. And what I've found is that—so, we all know about the idea of catastrophizing. When you start thinking of a particular consequence, and then that consequence spirals out of control— like oh man, can I can I tell a story of uh, that the was
0: stupidest catastrophizing? Yeah, I've ever I, done? I love because I, I I do that all I'm, I do it I'm I'm a master catastrophizer.
1: <laughs> okay, so I was I would have been quite young. Now it's sort of like a, you know how um, Americans might go to like Cancun or Mex- uh, like your or wider Mexico as yeah. like a bit of a rite of passage at some point in their life. So for Australians, it's Southeast Asia. And I was doing my obligatory 19-year-old trip to Thailand and I was on a train and this guy sits down next to me, this train guard, and first red flag, he goes, hi, my name's Cop. (laughs) And I'm like, g'day, Cop, how you going? And I didn't think anything of it. I'm just like, yeah, that's just his name. And he's like, do you like music? And I'm like, yes, I do. He's like, do you like weed? And I'm like, yes, I do. And he's like, how about... When, you, when the train starts, you and me smoke weed. And I'm like, cop, you genius. That sounds like the greatest thing that we could do right now. Anyway, the train starts. It's one of those sort of overnight trains. Cop comes and gets me. We go into his guard compartment and he pulls out this little homemade bong and we both take some hits. And I'm like, all right, me and cop, we're now getting stoned on the train. This is cool. Anyway, go and sit back down. And, uh, oh, no, before I go sit back down, sorry, cop's like, hey, um, did you like the weed? And I'm like, yeah, I did, dude. And he's like, why don't you buy some? And I'm like, immediately I start thinking, oh if I do that because you hear all these stories about tourists who get the weed planted on them and then all of the police guards will come and like you know like basically arrest you until you unless you pay some sort of bribe right so I am freaking out at this point point. and I'm like nah man I'm actually uh I, I don't have any money I'm so sorry uh, and so I go and sit back down here is where catastrophizing actually helped and this is I think why anxiety sticks with a lot of people because I see cop go and pull the same stunt on another dude and Another young dude who's like roughly my age, like uh, visually Australian. You can just tell. He goes in. He's clearly bought weed because the next stop, 30 train guards come on and take this kid off. And I think because of that, because the catastrophizing actually helped me in that one moment, it can be really, really hard to part with. And I think that's like the first thing to remember when you are thinking about, some of these like negative things in your head is a lot of them have come up as a means of protecting yourself. So I would say like the first journaling technique for something like anxiety or like fear is to understand how it's there to protect you. And then the second one I would say is when it comes to catastrophizing, try pull it into the reality. Because when things are in your head, so like that's a one-off situation. 99 times out of 100 when I'm thinking, oh, I really want to go for a swim, but there was a shark attack here like 40 years ago and what if I get in by a shark? 99 times out of 100, that catastrophizing has no basis in reality. So a good journaling technique for that would be just to pull it into terms of reality. And one that I really like is uh, what would I bet money on? So if you're thinking like, I don't want to drive my car, because I'm worried that a semi-trailer will crash into me. I think we've all had a thought like that. Then the option that you would bet money on if some sort of like devil bookie came down and took all of your money out of your bank account and said, hey, which one? Which one? You would uh, probably be more inclined, now that it's in reality terms, to bet on the less catastrophized scenario, if that makes sense. So to sum up, firstly, understand that Some of these anxieties are there to protect you and sometimes there are situations where overthinking things has a benefit and that might be why they're sticking around in you but also recognize that most of the time it's just a hang up from our old brains and that a lot of the things that we fear probably aren't gonna happen.
0: I love that, like, do do the journaling where, like, you bet money, right? Like, hypothetically, like, how much would I bet? It reminds me of, we've had, I don't know if you know, heard of Annie Duke. She used to be a professional poker player, and she's written a lot of books about decision-making. Yeah, 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 yep, yep. Yeah, and she has this, um, in one of her books, she talks about if you've got an an opinion, or you got someone who's got this opinion that it's just, it's kind of dumb, and they're being really stubborn about it, ask them, how much would you bet that you're right? (laughs) And, um, and like actually put a number and like, and actually maybe give a number, like, are you 70% sure, 80% sure and put money to it. And it oh causes, be, immediately when you do that, the, it causes you and maybe the other person to, you start hedging your bets a little bit. You're like, well, maybe, <laughs> well, if you put it that way, maybe not. So I like that idea. It's like, if I'm having catastrophizing, mm. like, okay, if I were to said I had to bet a thousand dollars that this would come true, would I make that bet? And, uh, mm. probably the answer would be no. I think to
1: extend on that as well, like when you're talking percentages, like um, is to rule out 70% as well. Rule out seven out of 10 because then you'll find that you'll naturally either go six or eight. Yeah. And uh, there's your answer.
0: Okay. So uh, we've talked about different techniques. We got the brain dump, which is a really easy one. You could do the journaling to break your mindset. So it's just challenging assumptions you have. You can do the journaling as a, as a daily reflection, ask those questions. What are you grateful for? What's draining you of energy? What'd you learn today? We talked about the lifestyle audit. We talked about using journaling to kind of help with anxiety and then also journaling to make a decision. How do you know what sort of journaling you should do on a particular day?
1: Oh, that's a brilliant question. So I guess it's um about how you're feeling, right? And I mean, not every problem can be solved by journaling. Like there's no real point understanding what's going on in your head if you haven't slept for 48 hours. There's a, definitely a better solution for you. But if you are, if all your physiological needs are met, what I would do is more or less start out with a brain dump or something to f- figure out what the problem is that you are trying to solve on any given day. Because until you know the problem... You don't really know what direction you need to run in. So there's no point running full steam. And yeah, so I guess I'd, I'd say like establish what the problem is and then
0: go from there. Okay. And so they could change. I think it's it's great to have different options because I, I like I said, we were talking about earlier with me, I think my problem was I just used the brain dump technique. Uh, okay. So just kind of based on what you so start out with a brain dump, that's a way, great way to get started. And then from there kind of just figure what you need and and then pick a, a technique based on that. A lot of people get hung up on this question is how do you recommend people do their journaling? Like paper and pen, computer, smartphone, what's your take on that? Yes to everything. <laughs> okay, yeah. I think, um yeah,
1: some people like the romance of the Moleskine journal and the beautiful fountain pen. Some people really cherish the anti-romance of like a biro and a $1 like spiral ring notebook, I personally think any way that it's not in your head and then it's out is the good technique. Whatever you have at your disposal at that time and it doesn't even need to be written. Like you could use the voice recording app on your phone. If they're just questions that you want to talk about, you can just get a trusted friend and literally have the conversation with them. If it's a podcast that you're not going to publish because it's too intimate, do that. Like whatever it is that helps you structure your thoughts so that they're not tormenting you is the right technique. And it might change day to day. There doesn't need to be consistency. You don't have to show anybody. So yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. There's arguments for a lot of stuff. The argument for handwriting that you hear a lot of the time is that the speed of handwriting and the fact that you are moving helps you synthesize your thoughts a bit more and the fact that your thoughts go a little bit faster than your handwriting and that handwriting's slower than typing means that the synthesis of your thoughts leads to a clearer thought on the page. The argument for typing would be the speed of it and that you can sort of keep up with your thoughts a little bit better. Argument for voice recording is, I mean, it's probably the least effort. So honestly, whatever you have, whatever feels good, whatever the path of least resistance is, that's the right technique.
0: Okay. So yeah, don't, don't, don't worry about, it. you don't have to do like Google searches or watch Instagram videos of people talking about <laughs> their paper journal, yeah, bullet journaling or whatever. Whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah. I'd say if you're getting hung up on that, just type.
0: Yeah. Just type. So this is a really cool video you did about a, an experiment you did for a year where you replaced social media with what you call microjournaling so what was going on in your life that prompted the experiment of giving up social media for microjournaling
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know how I sheepishly told you that I had quit drugs to use, and then just kept going with alcohol. So, when I quit alcohol, I kept going with social media. So, I think it was just addiction trading before I really started figuring out what was kind of going wrong in my head. And when I was like, well, shoot, now I am using my phone way too freaking much. I've got to do something about this. So, there's like probably, I guess, like three ways that people might look at Uh, phone addiction or social media addiction, you might think, okay, I'll use willpower or I'll use environment, like get a lockbox, or I will use the energy of the habit and try to turn it into something good. So I figured I'd try all three. And then in terms of taking the trigger of my phone, so in terms of using that third thing, what I decided to do was basically, you know how you got the muscle memory, you unlock your phone and then immediately you go to press YouTube or immediately go to press TikTok or whatever. Basically, where my thumb would naturally go, I decided to take the social media apps out and put in my notes app, which sounds super trivial. But what you find is you actually met with like a little bit of embarrassment the first time it happens. And that's kind of a good feeling. So you unlock your phone, you mindlessly go to press on, call it Instagram, but instead your notes app opens up. And when that happened to me, I was like, oh, I'm pathetic. Because I could feel my brain being like, gimme, gimme, dopamine, where is my validation? I want my brain to go, bro, when I see the red number. But instead, I'm now looking at this notes app and I'm like, well, I'm here, might as well write that embarrassing, shameful thought. So I did that and I was like, that didn't feel so bad. So that's where the experiment started. It was me trying to replace my muscle memory in order to help with that habit. And the notes app felt like the most benign app I could use. And after doing that, I was like, well, let's just keep going. So I went for a week and I was like, yeah, this is pretty cool. And then I went for another week, went for another week. And after a while, I realized it had been a year, which is when I made that video. And, oh man, it was crazy. So some of the things that happened when I found that I had basically traded out those little 30 second social media breaks for, a sentence or two in my notes app. So firstly, yes, all the obvious stuff happened. Use social media less, felt a bit more mentally clear, felt a bit happier, compared myself less to people. But then there were all these other cool side effects that I didn't really see coming. Like I just, I don't know, I started using my phone a bit differently. I started thinking about my relationship to my phone. My memory got better as well. Like I was able to recall things from way further back in my timeline because I was like, well, I wrote about them. So they're there. So yeah, I would uh, recommend that to most people. Sadly, after my daughter was born, I stopped doing it, but I've
0: picked <laughs> it back up recently. And so when you opened up the app, what did you write about? Was it just like, like, I'm feeling dumb doing like, and besides that, what other stuff did you write about? Yeah, heaps of
1: stuff, man. Like they were never all too pretty and they would vary few and far between. So some would be like just woken up, feeling good, had a coffee, life is great. Like some would be like the most simple stuff. And then other times it would be like I had the worst day, head is crying, like not even uh, well written. Other times it would be like a to-do list in the form of kind of like emotional prose (laughs) Other times it would be a recount of what happened in that day. Other times it would be whatever's frustrating me, whatever I don't want to do. It was honestly stream of consciousness and it was just capturing those tiny thoughts. There was no rules. I mean, I can read them out if you want, but uh, yeah, they were uh, fairly, they ranged from completely benign thoughts about, oh, I need to go to Bunnings to fix my shelf to like intense thoughts about, I don't know, childhood trauma. So there was, it was everything and everything. The only rule was that it happened in my notes app and that it never really exceeded the five minute mark.
0: And just to be clear, you didn't get rid of your social media because you're, you're an online content creator. Correct. So you just, all you did is you just shifted the location of the apps uh, on your phone so that, you know, the usual place where Instagram is at, you put the notes app there, for example. How did you overcome the tendencies? Like, well, you kind of, your brain sort of figures out, well, I typed in my thing and I can go to this app and like, I can enjoy myself. Like, how did you minimize (laughs) that?
1: Yeah, a couple of ways. So coming back to that idea of like, so either using the addiction, using your environment or using willpower. So willpower was good, but a lot of addiction experiences taught me it's just not that great. So environment was the next one. So if I did feel that, I would either use like a lockout app, like one of those lockout timers, um, or I would quite literally delete the app. So that would happen as well if it was ever just getting too much. Yeah, so mostly just trying to use my digital environment to literally ban myself because I know I'm like a, I don't know, I'm I'm not passing the marshmallow test, brother. Oh
0: God, no. <laughs> okay, so uh, I like the I, and I, I've actually after I watched that video about microjournaling, I started doing it. It's really cool. No way. No, Safe, yeah, man. No, yeah. it's really oh. great. And like what I really and happy. I think it's genius because I think most people like the smartphone is just basically an adult pacifier. Like oh. when I bust out my phone, it's just because I'm bored. It's like a what is this fidget. Popper thingies that, um, you know, know that's, yeah. And I I just kind of like by muscle memory, like I'll open up and I'll just like, I go through this loop of stuff. And then I look, it's like, that was dumb. And so I like the idea. (laughs) I like the That's idea. That's my favorite of, analysis of social media. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that that so, was dumb. That was dumb. And then, so, so I like the idea of I'm just gonna repl- I'm gonna do something else. It's on my phone. I'm gonna get the tactile satisfaction of doing bubble pop on my phone. You know, tapping things out. But it's a little bit more productive. Totally. That was
1: yeah the philosophy that drove it 100. I'm I'm so I'm thrilled to hear you did it.
0: No, it's it's cool. Yeah. So what I do is I just uh, I got the iPhone and so I've got my. The notes app, and so like every day, I just start uh, a new note, and I put the date at the top. I guess that's what you did. That's and, yeah, and I still do that. I still do yeah. that every day. Yeah. And then from there on, anytime I bust out my phone, I have that yeah you know, that itch to be like, I'm gonna go you know check out what's going on here. Or like I'm like I gotta Google that. I'll like, instead of doing that, I'll just open up my notes app. And it's like, well, I had this itch to like, Google this thing, and I don't really need to do that. And, uh, and the reason why I was googling it because I was you know wondering about blah blah blah, and I guess I don't need and. It's been, it's been, so far, I'm enjoying it. It's been useful. Nice. Can I ask uh, how, how long you've
1: been doing the habit?
0: Uh, so, it's like just a week. I'm just a weekend. So, I started oh, after yeah. I watched it and I started you know, prepping for this thing. I was like, I like that idea. Um, awesome, man. So, we'll see how it goes. We'll see if it continues strong. Yeah, I'm, I'm, keen, to, I'm keen to hear. So, you mentioned uh, you're a new dad. And uh, becoming a new dad threw off the micro journaling. But you're getting mm. back into it. Um, <laughs> I am, yeah. ha- has has having a baby thrown a wrench into other journaling practices, or have you found ways to keep it going? It
1: threw a wrench for sure, like most definitely, no two ways about it. So, first kid, which meant it's the the wrench that completely changes your lifestyle, and I mean, completely changes hers as well because she starts one. And definitely those first two months, I think any. Uh, f- f- any plans of self-improvement or any plans of introspection were put on hold or put on the back burner for keep the blob alive, which became the new goal. But I guess as, yeah, me and my wife have gotten into the rhythm of parenthood and into the rhythm of, the you know, the life we want to create for her, we've sort of started incorporating back some of those old practices and, like, obviously new practices as well because, you, you know, your whole entire life changes, so it – Only goes to stand that something that might not have worked for you back then would still work for you now. Who knows? But in terms of when I did start incorporating it back, it was firstly in the form of a brain dump. But what I found that I was gravitating more towards was really action-oriented journaling. So I found basically like with less time, with more responsibilities, with all of that sort of stuff, I always had the idea that the journaling had to lead to actions at the end. And I found that at the end, like basically if it was a brain dump, if it was questions, if it was prompts, if it was micro journaling, there was always what are the next three things that I have to do that would come out of it. And I guess that for me felt like A, a justification of like the time that I'd spent journaling and not time that I'd spent doing something else. And B, it, I don't know, calm me down in a way that improved other people around me.
0: Yeah, so no more angsty teenage 20-something.
1: Yeah, massively, dude. Yeah, yeah that's it. And like, even uh, sometimes like I'll go back and read like the stupid things that I wrote when I was 20 and holy hell, that guy had no idea, man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll think that about this time now and I'll, I'll look back and be like, that guy had no idea, just as no idea. You know? I think
0: yeah, I like that idea uh, as you shift into, you know, adulthood making your journaling more action oriented instead of sort of the belly staring that yeah. you can you tend to do when you're younger. I like that. Completely. Yeah. But I think it's worth uh, finding to hold on to a little deeper introspection into your adulthood as well. You know, trying to think about those big questions too. So a lot of people love the idea of journaling, right? They I think it's this thing. It's like, oh man, just seems so cool. And they start it, but they find they can't stick with it consistently. Do you have any advice on how to make it a regular part of one's daily routine and then stay with it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So two, two things if you are struggling with consistency in it. Firstly, lower the barrier to entry. So if right now you feel like journaling has to be pomp and circumstance where you open some sort of notebook and light a candle, it really doesn't have to be. If you're thinking, oh, journaling is only when I write three pages, it totally doesn't have to be. I think that's why um, a lot of people resonated with the micro journaling video because they're like, oh, it only has to be a sentence. So lower the barrier to entry, I'd say is the first one. And then the second one is, try attach it to something that you already do that is in i guess like a similar context so if you do write out a to-do list every day which a lot of people do add a little bit of journaling on the front doesn't have to be much put on a timer for like five minutes just get a few thoughts down then write the to-do list or other way around if whatever works for you so yeah lower the barrier and stack it with something you already do
0: well cam this has been a great conversation where can people go to learn more about the book and your work
1: yeah. Your Head is a Houseboat is the book and Struthless is my YouTube channel. So check that out.
0: Well, hey, Cam Walker, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Brett. Really appreciated it. My guest today is Cam Walker. He's the author of the book, Your Head is a Houseboat. It's available on amazon.com. You can find him on all social media platforms at at Struthless. Also check out our show notes at aom.is journaling, We find links to resources, We delve deeper into this topic. <laughs> Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artifmanlius.com where you find our podcast archives, as well as thousands of articles written over the years about pretty much anything you think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLIUS at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android iOS, and you start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us your review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think we get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Till next time, it's Brett McKay. Remind you on the when Podcast, but put what you've heard into action.